Hey, let me say this about this. I made a mistake here. I was wrong. I trusted this management team. That was ill-advised. You for sure is extraordinary. And I apologize. Okay. Um, what did you get wrong? I had thought there would be an understanding that you just can't spend and spend right through your free cash flow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 74 of Pounding the Table. We got a special guest here with us today, Alex Flores, who's not only helping us build our new website, shout out, poundingthetablepodcast.com, out live. As the pot of the people, we'd love to get your feedback. I know Tony's working on a newsletter that's going to be coming out, some deep dives and different things, but we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. Host at poundingthetablepodcast.com. We've got a lot of people emailing us saying they're no longer seeing our tweets. Now that Elon is back and, and helping us out, just make sure you are following us. Last week, obviously Friday, the market was going rippy mode, but some of the biggest companies were going down. Why was that happening? All of that and more, of course, is going to be on this episode. Everything you hear on every episode of Pound the Table should not be construed as financial advice. Always seek a financial advisor. Quite the intro there, Pounders. So, Alex, welcome to Pounding the Table. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You know, honestly, I've been in banking for over 10 years. I've done marketing for over 10 years. I've done miscellaneous entrepreneur stuff for over 15 years. It's Kind of like that saying goes, you're a jack of all trades, jack master of, all of none. Trades, master yeah. of um, none. But I'm That's... able to get a lot done. So, you know, yeah. when I figure it out, I'll let you know. Otherwise, I'm just a guy that likes to hustle and get it done. And as you guys can see with this website, man, we we got it in and got it out. And honestly, this isn't what I even do on a day-to-day -day basis. I do websites maybe once every quarter or something like that for a special project. Were you always very entrepreneurial like as a kid? You know, I remember when I was in fifth grade i used to draw the dragon ball z characters really really good oh man and i was just hustling that i was selling you know five dollar drawings ten dollar drawings i was doing vegeta goku whatever now that i got kids right and my daughter's in fifth grade and i sit back and ponder at how she does stuff and how she is and what i used to do i mean honestly yeah i think it was always in my blood to just find a way or or a means to get something. So whether that was money or, or figure out, Hey, you know what, how am I going to get the, those Yu-Gi-Oh cards that I really want from the other guy? You know, what can I trade and what can I do? Really, man, that's how it all started. And it just became part of myself and my character. My first couple of jobs, right? I mean, I started pushing cards at a local Albertsons and, you know, as I sat there and was making $9.50 the hour, I was like, man, I can't possibly do this for an extended period of time. And I was having my kids and it, it just really pushed me to do something better. Most of my career has been in banking. I started as a teller, became a banker, became a manager, done a little bit of credit lending, et cetera. Uh, that was always my day job. That was always my responsible doing, right? So I can maintain my, my family, my home. But on the side, I've always done something. So I remember the first real business that I spent some real money on was a bounce house rental company. <laughs> I think I spent, awesome. I, I spent like, what, $7,500 buying like these super quality, very like plastic heavy 
bounce houses from California, got them shipped. And I mean, it, it really started with me spending hours online, just reading through different forums and, and learning the business and seeing what other people did. But that was also my number one indicator as to how I decided to go on about business, right? Because it was a great business on paper mm-hmm. and numbers made sense, but it's a really hard business. <laughs> if anybody's ever like tried to roll those bounce houses or move them or maneuver them, I mean, some of them weigh as much as 200, 300 pounds. So you can imagine doing that by yourself after work, you got the kids, you got this, you got that, and you have to move two or three of them. It's was this for like birthday parties or exactly. like, okay. yeah. Yeah. So especially when you get into like the water slide ones and you got to clean them and you got to make sure that they're not wet. So they don't create mold. That was really, you know, a couple of months into that, I decided, I was like, man, I can't, you know, it wasn't for me. I couldn't manage that plus everything, you know, all my other responsibilities. So that was my first big lesson in life to just, you know, step back and say, okay, well, hold on. It looks great. Numbers make sense, but let's be honest, how feasible is it? Right. Right. So taking that principle and just applying that going forward, when I look at a business, if I decide to do it, I, you know, from A to C, yes, it makes sense on paper. Yes. It makes money. Yes. It's doable, but how feasible is it for long-term success? What is it going to take from me? A lot of those things for me are very critical factors that you really just can't measure, right? You really got to take it in and say, okay, how does this apply to me personally? But yeah, it sucked, man, because that was a big investment. It was a good business and it could have worked. And going back and thinking about it now, like, yeah, maybe I could have hired somebody. I could have done something. But again, how do you want your business to run? Right. You know, for me to have to found somebody at that time that could have done it and done it the way that I wanted to. Like I knew the risk of if you got 20 kids jumping in that bounce house, they're all sweating. You got sugar, you got sodas, you got everything. Do they have you bounce know? insurance? They have to have like. <laughs> From a liability standpoint, yes. But the taking care of the bounce houses you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot of work and it's, um, you're not going to find somebody to do it the right way. So yeah, my hat goes off to one of those professionals that are in that business and actually yeah. really do it. That comes down a lot to like cost benefit analysis. Like we always talk about like the opportunity costs of capital and time, you know, like I know that from then you went into you know banking and now you're running into jewelry and other things that are much more scalable and have better margins and everything. I'm sure a lot of our viewers are, especially in 2022, I know a lot of people got super into Airbnbs and, and, you know, all sorts of things that require lending, credit debt, all that kind of stuff. So definitely want to hear your perspective on that. Any good advice you've got for maybe people who are in a tricky spot or people who are looking to seize opportunities because of the different drops in various asset prices? You know, I really don't think there's anything new under the sun. I think what we're seeing now, even though, again, it's very special given the circumstances or the feel behind it, right, with COVID and the presidency and the war in Ukraine and everything else going on, I really think it's a version of what we saw in 2008, 2009. Um, people just get over leveraged. I mean, if, if everybody was responsible and everybody just really ran their business or their personal finance the way they really should in a healthy way, in a balanced way, 
don't ever think we would be in a situation like this, right? But I think people get greedy. I think people just over leverage themselves and find themselves in a circumstance where they don't realize like, yeah, it affects you. But if you got 100,000 people doing that, then now you're affecting the market. So right. I think where we are now, you really got to take a step back and just say, okay, well, what happened in the past? How could any of this affect me? And, you know, what makes sense for my current situation? You know, if you're somebody that has a stable job, you were able to stay out of debt, right? Because the free money and the pressures of, of COVID and everything we went through from a psychological level didn't affect you as much. Didn't didn't drive you to go and buy a five thousand dollar TV and you know five Nintendo Switches just because again you're home all day. You wanted to do something and extend you financially. I really think you should just sit down and wait just see what's going to happen, especially in your market, right? And uh, where you are, if you're in a big city, Atlanta, Miami, LA, I think you're going to see big swings. So you going in and saying, you know what, I'm going to try this out and buy a home. It's going to cost 700,000, 800,000. And I'm going to do Airbnb. You're going to see a downfall of people being able to go out and afford staying out of mm -hmm. Airbnb, number one, but two, that property value is going to tank. Right. And you're still going to owe that money loan is for that 700,000. It's not going to go down just because the property value went down. The bank isn't going to come in and say, oh, well, we see you made a, a badly timed decision. Forget about this. We can settle for this. It's not going to happen. Not unless you go to bankruptcy and, and you're in seven years of hell because of it. I'd imagine there's been people that took advantage or wanted to take advantage of that gold rush with Airbnb. I've heard a few stories of people that took out tons of money, bought a bunch of properties, they may start defaulting if these property values start just dropping. That could get deadly pretty fast for a lot of people. So think about what you just said, right? A lot of people made a lot of money, took out a lot of money, bought a lot of properties, and now they're stuck. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing that happened in 2008 and 2009, yep. different business model. Obviously, mortgage regulations are not what they used to be, but same principle. People put that greedy people overextended themselves and out there holding on to 10 properties. They're only able to rent six of them at a decent rate. They still got to pay for it. Whether it's rent, whether it's a mortgage, I mean, you're still on the hook for it. So mm -hmm. if you walk away, you're still going to take a financial hardship. You're still going to take that hit, whether it's in your credit, whether it's dealing with lawyers, or landlord kicking you out. I mean, it's nothing's free. So I just think that if you're in a good position, if you're in a decent position now, your best bet is to stop itching and just hold your money three months, six months and go from there. So how's that change? I'm always curious because I'm, I'm at the age where hopefully I can have some children in the next few years. You know, we always talk about that with Tony. Obviously, Tony's like 10 years younger than I am. Joey's got kids. He's in a different position. So we always talk about that in the market. Like, Look at your own portfolio because you're the only one that knows outstanding circumstances of your life. You have kids, you have debt, you have whatever going on. You know, has that shifted your mindset, I guess, since you've had kids? Have you budgeted differently? I mean, absolutely. I think that if you end up having a kid in the next nine months, right, you're not going to automatically start thinking, well, how are they going to afford college? Where are they going to go? 
where we live isn't going to make our lives harder. We got to go to school, but the school is 30 minutes away. Now we got to commute an extra hour, hour and a half throughout the day. You know, these are things that as a new parent, we, people just don't tend to think about it. it and again, it's experience, you know, uh, your second kid, it gets easier. Your third kid, it gets easier. Um, if you happen to live in a household where you were often involved with maybe taking care of a little brother or a little sister, maybe you'll think about it a little bit more. But as far as you yourself, most people don't. So, you know, that was a mistake that I made early on was I had my first kid, I had my second kid. I knew I needed to maintain a stable sense of income. It's the reason I stayed in banking and my day jobs. You learn very quickly that you need to start taking a little bit more of a conservative approach when it comes to investing, opening up a business. And, you know, even though you have that 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 in your bank account and you're like, yeah, well, maybe I can throw 10 grand at this project. You really start second guessing it and say, well, you know what, man, I, I need that. That's, you know, my daughter's college or that's my son's car when he gets to high school. It changes your, your perspective and how you look at money and your finances. So if you do the, the breakdown, you have 24 hours in a day. Eight of them, you got to sleep or you know, six to eight of them. In my position, I got to work eight of them. So I'm left with roughly, you know, six to eight to nine hours. I got to take some me time. Obviously, I got to shower. Obviously, I got to do personal hygiene stuff. Obviously, I have to do my own mental stuff. So for me, it really boils down to the quality of it. So when I sit down with my son or my daughter, it's not us being on our phones. It's not us just having vague conversations about, oh, how was your day? Oh, okay, that's great. It's really engaging, right? Letting them know that, hey, even though I'm running around, even though I'm busy, you will have my attention. We will have that quality time. And it's a hard balance, man, because sometimes you get a ton of vision and you don't realize that maybe your son's having a rough time at school or your daughter's mm-hmm. having a rough time. And, you know, you're really not seeing it because you're, you're so focused on our, yeah, let's spend time now, but you know, I got to get back to it. That's where that quality comes in. And just like you saying, okay, I'm going to take this next hour or two hours to be a hundred percent attentive to you yeah. and care to you. And the same way that I'm going to care about any other of my personal professional or business dealings. Right. Cause if you sit down with a partner and you're talking to a partner and you're talking about whatever you're about to do, you're gauging them. You're looking at them. You're, you're examining their, their body language. To, I love that. Interacting with you. So, I mean, if you do that for business, why wouldn't you do that with your kids? This is my personal therapy right now. <laughs> I'm like asking all these questions <laughs> because that's probably the next year or two of my life. What was interesting and beautiful too, right, is, is putting down your phone and actually having those interactions because you were asking me prior to us recording about you know, what is your physical object that you'd care most about? And my, my head instantly went to my phone. I see all these kids, they're just attached to their phones. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they have phones, man, but no, that phone is not more important than them living their actual lives, you know, living conscious lives. Yeah, I was really sucked in and zoned in on like, you know, like, as you were saying, like, tunnel vision kind of situation and then my dad got sick had to get surgery and like i came back here for a little while and uh i don't really go on my phone as much nor do i like hit social media as much and actually it's much better in terms of actually you can see that there's stuff outside and it's pretty cool 
And I feel like that's honestly a pretty good similarity to trading too. Like I think a lot of people and anything or any in business, like, you know, you don't necessarily need to be there every day doing something. You just have to wait for the perfect times. Like if you're more tuned in, you pay attention. It's not like how much time you spend. It's like what you do during the time you do something. So it's, it's, it's quality over quantity. The reason I was asking about, you know, what's that most impo- important item in your life in the time that we spend together, I can kind of tell you're a little bit like me. I got to have the fastest internet. I got to have the nicest setup. I got to, you know, I want an Xbox. Even though I was playing, I need an Xbox. I need a camera. I need a phone. I need this. And obviously you, you want the best for yourself. After you have kids, I don't have the time to care. I don't have the time to hold emotional or sentimental value for things that are not the most important thing to me, which is wife, my kids, and actually, honestly, myself. But to some extent, again, you got to you gotta be the best version of yourself for yeah. your family. To be fair, I did say my wife, and then you said which item. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you did. <laughs> but it's, it's about that my point to you was going to be, well, whatever that is, you better learn to live without it. You got to be locked in. If you don't do these things, you're going to lose. How have you handled the, the downturn personally in the market? You were your sirens, I guess, going off a little bit earlier where, you know, you look at the market now and in hindsight, it was inevitable. It was just going straight up for months on months on months. Right. And as a parent or as someone that has more responsibility, you're like, okay, I've had my fun. Like I gotta, I gotta sit back and maybe I'm not going to sell at the very top, but I'll sell in the seventh inning per se. Yeah. So for me in the stock market, the way that I looked at it, right. Is I need to be focused. And if I don't have the time to focus on it, I am going to leave my money in where I feel there's value, right? The blue chips or Whatever I know, it's it's at least I believe it's going to be good for the next five to 10 years. I think that if you're going to do anything, again, stock market, crypto, business, like you really got to be able to put the time and put that energy and attention to it. You question a lot of what like everyone teaches, right? Like I went to school for economics and I can tell you that nobody knows a fucking thing. And if they did, they wouldn't be sitting there making a tenure. Like they wouldn't be making 200K a year. And that is a really shocking thing to me, right? Like I remember being in school and them saying, oh yeah, like, you know, the best companies in the world are the safest companies. No, 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 no. And then you look at it and you're like, you know, you really look into the guts of it and you're like, well, is this one of those things where like housing, for example, is like one of the biggest positives in the world. It's like the American dream is such a stupid dream. It's like, you want to have a picket fence, a white picket fence with a dog and you pay your mortgage and then you keep working your nine to five and then you're finally old enough to retire. You didn't do shit in your property life. tax. Yeah. You got property taxes that go up. You have they stop inflation. Ra- rates <laughs> keep going up, right? Like we started this perpetual Ponzi QE. Well, that's a good, well, hold on. So like, I, and I, I'm not a homeowner, but like if the home goes up, increases in value. Well, yeah. That's property taxes. Yeah. So people can't maybe afford that. They didn't buy a house. Well, it's not, it's, yeah. It's not even that too. I mean, that is definitely a component of it. It's just property taxes are, unless you're in a certain like few states, it's not too terrible. But like you look at the need of people wanting homes, like 
people do really good in real estate and they say real estate's really good just because of just the law of large numbers. It's like, it's actually all this. It's like you have more people, more population, less space, a finite amount of places on earth, a finite amount of places that people actually want to live in, right? Like you can still go to like Bali and sit there for like a grand a month and be a king. But no, everyone wants their white picket fence in the US with their golden retriever. And it's like, you're, you're kind of conditioned to have this stereotypical, like you're in this track and it's like almost like you're just an NPC playing the game created by people bigger than you. It's like you're in the hundred year void and then you wake up and you're like, here's the world government. That's a one piece reference for anyone who's a fan. But <laughs> you've been listening to me too much, man. Now but I'm it, like, it, hey, it's, it's, for me. <laughs> it's not even tin hat. It's like really how this is. Like the only people like my dad's like, oh, I've never lost money doing real estate. And it's like it's because you did it at the right time. Like changed my own perspective of like, I want to hold this stock for a long time. I'll be dead in like 60 years. So fuck that. I'm trying to make money <laughs> right now. Every rich person I know owns real estate. So because, because what, but no, but like, that's the reason they're not smart. They just did the right thing at the right time. Like that's what you would like a life. Bro. If you look at the housing prices in the last, what, like from two, first of all, from 2008 to now, you could have been half asleep, eyes closed, signing something with your left hand and your right handed. And you made a million dollars on a house. You didn't have to have any skill or anything. You should have a little money at the right time. That's it. And you're not and like right now, like good. Yeah. If you take the real estate gains that are going to be made from right now to the next 20 years, population decline, it's not going to make it, bro. Like that's the, uh, Elon said it's the biggest threat to society yeah. because the Ponzi has to be fed by something. You have to put gas and fuel in the fire. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, well, there's not enough people to buy my Ponzi bullshit. And that's what you're seeing now with like all these assets in the world. In my opinion, it's actually how it's going to be. But then like you look at the components of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, it's like people will say, oh, the market's really going to crash. Like the, the reason the market's not at 2000 is because you've got like what Warren Buffett owns $155 billion worth of Apple. Apple is what, like 10% of the S&P 500. You look at Microsoft, Amazon, Netflix, Google, all these things are huge components of the S&P. Like it's something I want to talk about on like when we dive deeper into the market pot. It's like all these big techs had terrible earnings, like meta and all the like, and the market's still holding up. And it's like the Ponzi has created itself into like a very fortified structure. And we all just bow down to it. But it's really just like, you are the exit liquidity. <laughs> and that's actually just the world. It's like, you look at real estate, go buy something now, get your 7%, hopefully variable rate. If you get a fix right now, you're actually a moron. And then watch what's going to happen. Like housing's already down. What, was Friday <laughs> exit liquidity then or not? Friday is not actually, that's what I was trying to say. Like all those stocks died. Why didn't the market crash? I don't know why, but that's it. That's all you need to see. It's like, if it's supposed to go down and it doesn't go down, something's happening. What's happening? I don't know, man. End of year rally, pump up the numbers for the big books and funds. So everyone says BlackRock didn't lose 4 trillion this year. And then you just reset it next year when like you can write off all your short taxes from this year and, and all, all the things you bought, you just hold into next year. So- I don't really believe in that long-term value anymore. Like I believe that there's value in the cycles. And if you don't catch the right train to the next cycle, you are the bag holder because money flows. Money flows between things. It's not like there's X amount of money in here, X amount of money in here. It's like, look at how everything crashed. High risk, mid risk, crypto, big tech, it all in order of magnitude of risk, things crashed. And then now we have housing crashing, commodities are crashing, right? So it's like everything's just flipping and then it'll, it'll revert again once the extremes go too far. So basically value is all just subjective, right? Like we're all living in our own random assumptions. And so 
just assume right. That yeah. that was a lot to digest. So yeah, I was just taking it in. Sometimes I get started and I can't stop. Well, here's what I would say, right? So you're right. I think I think money flows in cycles. And if you ask the question, well, everything went down on Friday. Why didn't the stock market crash? You got to ask yourself, well, what what does it take to crash it? If you go back and look at you know the year 2000, 2001, the consumer, the the market, the people. In general, I mean, we were different people. Yeah. We didn't have the information we have now. And companies were different companies. Exactly. So I think a lot of it is how us as a population, culture, I mean, whatever you want to call it, how we assimilate that information and the fact that uh, Meta and everybody else lost so much money on Friday. Well, what does that really mean to us now? Do you think that that would have been different in 2008? Like it would have had a different effect on the market or like in 2002, three, something like that happened. My bad. I actually just, my phone, my headphones died. <laughs> you just pull one of those guys, the guy on CNBC. No, literally my headphones. <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. No. Well, so let me ask you. <laughs> so if what had happened on Friday happened in 2008 or 2003, Mm-hmm. Do you think the market would have reacted differently? 100%. So like the difference, and this is where I have trouble with people trying to compare the crashes from 2008 and 2002. Like the market rallied like crazy on Friday, but everything was like not looking great. And so that was what I was kind of saying with the advent of pumping up the pumping up everything, like the QE in the world. Like, and that doesn't just mean stocks, it's everything. So like 2002, 2001, that area, all these things were new. I would compare that to crypto because like I know crypto for a fact is better tech than all the shit that banks use. Banks are terrible. It makes no sense. Why is my wire not able to sign on a Saturday? Like, I don't get that. But 2002, we had no support, no quantitative easing. Like the Fed is holding $8, billion, $8 trillion of assets that prop up the U.S. economy directly on their balance sheet. $8 trillion of stuff that can't be sold and decided. Like it's getting rolled off. But that raises the floor. And that didn't happen in 2001. That came from 2008. And like in 2008, they tried to do a bunch of like cap, CapEx, they, like Obama did a pretty okay job. Could have done it a lot faster, but spent a lot of money in infrastructure and all these things to help stimulate the economy that way. But then we created quantitative easing. So keep buying up stuff that you're the one that's creating, like governments buying their own bonds, governments buying their own mortgage-backed securities, which are created by banks that they loan money to in the Fed funds rate. So it's all like connected. You can only crash it so far. It doesn't mean that every stock in the market, like 95% can't go to shit and die. Because if you like look under the hood, it's just as bad as 2001 and 2008. But then you, you're like, why is the S&P and the NASDAQ only down 20, 30%? Well, it's because that Ponzi floor, right? Like we had You had 20 years of Apple doing its thing and now everyone has an iPhone. 20 years of Microsoft doing its thing and like, now we're using Excel and this and like, I use my Xbox every day. Like there's stuff like that. And so like you have all these companies where they're like integral in your life now. And they're not just companies that we just decide up and down every day. Like they're held, like Warren Buffett owns 5% of Apple. Like that's not going to go anywhere from Warren Buffett until he starts selling. And like you have these companies that actually produce revenues now, like in 2001, 2002, the amount of money that those companies made was crazy less compared to this. Like half of them were just Netscapes. 
And then in 2008, you had the problem of over leveraging, which you talked about the bank requirements and everything was pretty much fixed. So like slowly but surely, we're trying to like control the natural human tendency to be degenerate, which is a natural human tendency because laziness is like programmed in the brain. If you can make the most money with the least amount of work, you take the risk. That's why gambling exists. And so I think that's the difference from the markets today. Like what happened on Friday or like last week with all these big stocks just dying happened in 2001, 2008, it would have been the same event. Like it would have crashed as bad as it did back then. But because all these extra artificial Ponzi-nomic structures exist, it's like the S&P 500 is still near 4,000. And that doesn't make sense if you look at like under the hood, how many stocks are not anywhere there. What's going on with this the student loan forgiveness? Like, oh, Biden's an absolute fucking idiot. Like did that that's not going through now. Do you think people started spending money thinking that they're going to get these loans forgiven? No, the Democrats are trying to swing the midterms and they fucked it. They're just like, yeah, everyone gets their student loans off, guys. And then they move it. Actually, there's 20 million applications and 20 million times 20,000. It's like, we don't have, we don't have, sorry, guys, we don't have that much. That's like a lot of money. And yeah. like, the gut, dude, they only did that for the same, like the reverse of what happened in 2016, which is why Hillary lost besides of the psychological, like the sociological factor that, I guess people get upset about, but it's facts. But that is like Obamacare premiums came out right before that happened. And they were up like 137% on average. And so many people were pissed and they swung to the Republican side. And like, they're trying to do this now by like hoping that the liberals, which doesn't make sense because most of the people who have student loan are liberals who think that like, I got to go to a good college because like, I'm going to make my money. Like I do my degrees. I don't even know where it is. I haven't looked at it, but (laughs) <laughs> that's what I think is going on. Like Biden had 20 million people applying. He didn't think it through. And he's like, oh shit, well, we really can't cover this right now. Yeah. I hope you vote for me. Anyways, Alex, what do you I, think about I, Elon Musk taking over Twitter? I love that video of him walking into headquarters with a sink. Let's sink yeah. That was, you know what it's, it's, it's amazing about this whole thing? I mean, aside from what he might do with it, the guy runs so many companies. And they're not little companies. These are formidable companies. That's like the ultimate level of what you're asking me, right? Like, how do you manage all of these businesses and your career and everything else with two kids? Well, shit, Elon's doing it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I was more asking for like the, you know, the outcry on Twitter and then the, in both directions. Who is outcrying, bro? You know? Well, half of Twitter is, and they're yeah, like, because fifty percent are just snows. Like, well, I, I think it's just funny. It's like now both people can speak <laughs> within reason. Like, you shouldn't be able to promote violence. You shouldn't be able to promote hatred, of course. But like, you should be able to have your thoughts and and have one side be heard. That feels like nineteen eighty four. Rule one of this country. But it, got, yeah. a lot of that is is <laughs> open to you know. It's kind of like the law. You know, how do you interpret a law and using past rulings to define the outcome of a certain trial right nowadays. That is a monumental task to take on Uh for him to go back and say, okay, well, here are going to be the guidelines for if we let people like Kanye West or Trump get away with saying what they're saying on our platform. Yeah, Like setting those guidelines is going to be extremely hard and it's going to take a lot of thought process and going back and forth and kind of just saying, okay, well, what does it mean to have freedom of speech? Yeah. What's covered? Well, yeah. It is interesting because, you know, freedom of speech, when you started, 
they didn't probably anticipate you could talk to the entire world other than one tweet. There's something else I, I kind of want to just throw down real quick because I, I've seen the back and forth on Elon on Twitter, and I just have a few things to say to everyone who's trashing him. Number one, you are not him. Like, you can't hack it. You can't do what he does. That's facts. Number one. <laughs> Number two, man is single-handedly doing all of the coolest companies in the world. And like, yeah, there was one person who predicted he'd do all this. That's me. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, Tesla doesn't deserve to be this value. Because, because, because like, if you look at Ford and you look at GM, the valuations are so much lower and they do such better companies. No, they're actually dog shit. They only exist because the government Ponzi in 2008 bailed out GMC and bailed out Ford. You're welcome. That doesn't exist. You think Elon needs a bailout? Elon will bail you out. That's uh, how this works. The other difference too is when you're comparing those, right? I mean, Tesla is focused on the consumer. Directly makes changes to affect the consumer. When's the last time Ford has done that? Exactly. Like you buy an iPhone every time because there's an update. I can't update my GMC 1999 Envoy. Can't. Things going to be dead in a fucking Does way. Tesla take his short-term dive if he's focused on Twitter? And he, I feel like he, he loves fucking Twitter. Selling's been, Avi. This selling is just- I mean, it's even further. I mean, like compared to some stocks, Tesla's still, you know, obviously got hit along everything else. Tesla's like fine. Tesla's better than every other company in the S&P 500, except maybe Apple. Microsoft. He's talked about, he's rumored to step down from Tesla in the past, right? And now- That's because that, he's trying to go to space, bro. Well, that's not clear. <laughs> he's got so many things going on. He's made his money. Maybe his his whole thing now is like, I can take over the world. To become the anti-hero. Because like, if you think about it, it's so funny because the whole thing we talk about with like the World Economic Forum and Elon to me is like that superhero that's fighting back. But then if you take a step back, he helped create PayPal. He wants to like put a chip in your brain with, with Neuralink. The, the reason for Neuralink actually is to cure diseases. And like, uh, of course, not have neurological problems. Like if you can cure Alzheimer's and like all these different things from a monkey, per, uh, what is it, Parkinson's disease from a monkey, you can do that in humans. Also, like, there are things that will come out of that that everyone's going to be begging for, right? Like, we all wish we had the eternal dragon, but not all of us do. And no one does right now, but we will. And so, like, those are things that people are like, they're like, Elon's cars are not even environmentally friendly. Okay. Elon is literally providing power to so many different countries, continents, even at this point. Like, oh, no, Elon, don't send so much to the Ukraine because, like, why are now we is it funny? Bro, they don't he's like, damn if I don't. It doesn't yeah, matter yeah. what he does. It's people just hate him because they're not him. And that's just like your own bias and cope. And you should probably be better. But that is number one about Elon. Like it, Tesla will be still the, one of the biggest companies of all time because it's never been about the cars. And I see all the people trashing on Twitter. You just don't get it, bro. You haven't gotten it since it was 20 billion. And you're not going to get it when it's 2 trillion. So I don't know why you even write a post. Like, Elon, like, call Elon a bad guy. Find me a good person with that much money. Well, there's not that many people with that much money. Exactly. So you can't even talk to <laughs> Anyways, Joey, welcome to Pounding the Table. I was double muted just in case, like, I was coming in mid-interview like I did that one time. So the main thing Elon's going with, you know, now that he was forced to buy Twitter that he really didn't want to, he wants to build WeChat in the United States. I don't know if you saw that interview. So, like... If you're in China, like WeChat is everything. That's how you send money. That's how you talk. I mean, it's it's Facebook, WhatsApp, Snapchat. It, I mean, it's your entire world on one platform. So that's what he's saying. You know, starting with Twitter, you know, this dumpster fire of a way to communicate and get news. Then, hey, maybe we add a payments feature, which, I mean, the dude with X.com and then PayPal. Doge is exploding, Doge is flying right now. 
And then, so, I mean, think if he has like his Uber style version to summon all of Tesla's cars, like a way to link it all into the network. I mean, he could do it. It, it would be a hell of a lift to be able to try to get people to convert. But I mean, shit, if he bought Twitter at that price, why not buy Snapchat? Why not, you know, buy all these other platforms to integrate into one with the X.com? I just don't know if he has the time to do it. The dude's sending rockets to Mars, like. He's got to find someone or maybe he just poaches someone from WeChat and say, hey, yeah, do it again. But better. You can see where he's trying to turn a real shit situation into, into a good one. And like, well, you know, I have to spend all this money. May as well build something cool out of it. I think he's going to come out like a bandit on it, honestly. Like if you really think who uses Facebook anymore, like the people who are trashing Elon are still using Twitter. You're, you're literally trashing the guy whose bio is chief twit. Does DWAC go to zero? If Trump comes back on Monday, does DWAC go to, like, what, what's the purpose of Truth Social if, if Trump comes back? Truth Social is dead. Zero? Social, like, I started that account. It's just a weird platform. It's kind of like getting a room full of people that think the same as you and thinking it's- It was like Twitter. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's just a remake. It's just a different type of audience. I mean, you could see like the reasoning behind it. I feel like Rumble is a much better product because it wasn't started with the intention for a very specific audience. It's just like, hey, we're not going to let people tell us anything. You can do whatever the hell you want on here and we're going to let it fly. Um, So that's where I could see Rumble making a partnership with Twitter and then them enticing like, hey, yeah, we'll buy Truth Social for whatever just to like integrate it in there. But I, I mean, there's really no truth. Did I see that somewhere? Or did, did, was that you telling me that earlier? I showed you that, that, like why, why Rumble was rallying. Cause they thought, you know, there could be a partnership between it and Twitter now that Elon came in, which now makes sense. Because if you look a week ago when Rumble was at like $8 or seven seventy five, you saw this slew of unusual options activity at the $15 strike. And I mean, that was exactly what was going on. Someone knew. You know, this would close. We're going to put out this headline and it was going to surge. So here's the big thing that that's, I was even texting Joan about this like two days ago is where, you know, everybody's worried about the, the multiple on the S and P because earnings are going to be such shit this, this season. And they've been pretty damn good. And the, and the stocks are dying still. They're still getting absolutely bodied. So the market's holding. So. You see this senator or someone that was like grilling um, someone on the stand. It was basically saying, you know, like inflation is X, but what goes into inflation or like what's derived out of inflation? It was like 52% was corporate profits. So like, yeah, have risen substantially across the board, but corporations are taking advantage. They're not just like, hey, if this raw material went up 25%, we're going to mark up the end product 25%. It's more like- this one up 25, we're going to mark this shit up 50 and we're going to point the finger at Putin. And Fine. yeah, and Biden's going to echo it, calling it the Putin price, like telling oil companies to lower the price at the pump. It's like, dude, you obviously don't know how that whole thing works. We're not taking oil right from the ground and putting it right at a gas station. Like there's a lot <laughs> that goes into it. Um, I went to my local gas station and I like had a long conversation because I know the owners pretty well. And I was talking to them and I was like, how much money do you guys make? And they like, make pennies. They make pounds. Pennies. They're like, they're like, do you know how much shit we sell off the shelves in here? And like the markups on it. It's like you buy a bag of chips for four dollars. I get that for like 30 cents. And like I'm just caking. And you guys think that I'm like, you know, the, the gas or whatever, like 
we won't make that much money on gas, but we make hundreds and hundreds of thousands a month. I remember I was in college and this kid that sat next to me, his parents owned a convenience store with gas pumps. And he was saying, yeah, they made like pennies at the pump. He said, all the profits are made from the things the cashier can see. Right. So it's going to be your chips, cookies, all that nonsense. Like, yeah, the drinks are one thing, but like, it's usually like whatever's directly. And alcohol. They, they yeah. sell a ton of alcohol. Yeah, all that stuff. You had the most important stocks of the market crush it. You had Google, Meta. I mean, Meta's not as important as it once was. But yeah, you had Google and Amazon absolutely crap the bed. And the market surged. So like to see that, be able to shrug it off and surge. Like now, granted, I had a significant position in Amazon. So like my day wasn't as great as the market was. But it's very interesting to see kind of how this is all playing out. And, and that's kind of what I was getting back to, like, you know, even owning an index fund, if you don't know how to pick individual stocks, because everybody's going with, you know, own Amazon, Google, blah, blah, blah. But like owning those, you're getting pummeled this year. But it's like, if you own an S&P 500 index fund, yeah, you're not down as much because right. you've got all these other names that are just surging. And like, look at McDonald's year to date or Honeywell, all these big industrials that are absolutely crushing it. McDonald's is definitely busting because of the new employment. And yeah, it's damn near 52 week high right now. So like you got these boring ass plays, not to mention that, you know, McDonald's is a real estate company. That was the uh, a Pounder's thesis pick by label trader 1122. They act absolutely crushed it. And it shows, you know, inflation has, has affected them a little bit, but they've been able to pass it on. And because people are doing so poorly, it's one of those where, I mean, you can go feed a family of five at a very reasonable price. And you saw the same thing on a Chipotle too. Is these certain brands and now they're more premium and they're what they're like median customers, like closer to like the 100,000 mark. So like, yeah, these people, they're, they're willing to pay up for their burrito bowls and all that. Cause you know, still going to Chipotle is better than going to the grocery store right now. Like how much you get it, almost like the bang for your buck. And, there's even people on TikTok that show like, you know, the total calories you can get per dollar at Chipotle is still one of the best deals out there. Real estate prices are more expensive than ever. So like you kind of got this two-headed monster of appreciation plus, you know, them getting a portion of the, the sales from their franchisees. So it's, it's interesting to see what the, the leadership is. And that Fang is completely flipped on his head where Netflix was, you know, the, the company everybody was hating on last year. It's the one that's actually doing the best of those four. Netflix looks good. It's it's just crazy. I mean, like we like it's what we were saying earlier, Joey. It's like the perpetual Ponzi that's creating the market. It's like the S and P's holding better than the tech stocks, but like you look at Apple, Apple's crushing it, and everyone's saying Apple needs to go to hundred before we bought them. It's like you have the other five that died. Do you really not think that Amazon at eighty eight after hours was a good deal? I don't care what market it is. And I bought so much that I, I'm not going to say how much I bought. Is this recording right now? Yeah. yeah. How much did you buy? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. Like, so, I know you dropped it was half. enough to kind of scare. I know you dropped half a million. It. it was enough to where I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And then I saw like a right back 93, 96, 97. I was thinking, Bezos is coming back. So this dude. is where I told you, like, I bought so much that as soon as it goes back 112, I trim off my 112, 109 lot. Yeah. Keep all of my like 102. And I think, I think it was like 80, 89 something. I remember looking at it after hours and it was like 95, 93. I was like, no way is this going in the 80s. Cause I was even like doing the multiples in my head. Yo, you look at the chart. 
what the market cap, what the market cap of this company is, thinking like what AWS is worth. I'm thinking I'm getting AWS at like a 20% discount, the retail business for free, the advertising, like everything else that goes into it. And then uh, made myself even feel better because I had my kids at swimming at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to order something on there. And it was like to my house. I'm going to order something. <laughs> yeah. So it's like one of those things. It like reminds me why I love Amazon. Like I can order something. It's to my doorstep because we got a distribution facility 30 minutes north of us. So I can have stuff in two hours. So it's like this is the infrastructure that's worth so much more and kind of like brings it all into perspective. You know, I, I want to kick it over to Alex for a second and ask about uh, where he sees precious metals going. Because, you know, I'm looking here at the PCE chart, right? And like, I think it was up 3% month over month in September of 2022. And what's shocking here is that like, yeah, PCE just on a like numeric basis was like 117 October 21. And it, in June, it was 123.5. In July, it was 123.36. August, 123.69. September, 124.1. The, the difference is that it's not exploding higher. It's like starting to level up. You have all these commodities coming down aggressively. You have these precious metals coming down aggressively too. The only thing that's like sus is the whole oil thing. And that's just because of geopolitical tensions. But, you know, like... Alex uh, recently started a jewelry company called Flores Gold and Diamonds. And I'm just curious to see his take on that because I've never seen the gold markets run exactly like with the S&P 500. So I just want to wanted to know your take on that, Alex. You know, I really think a lot of it just comes down to the investors, right? They don't, I, I don't believe there's appetite for it. I think that, uh, Either we haven't gotten to the low point in the market yet where people need to panic and say, well, I'm going to put all my money in gold. But even from a perspective of the market, right, as a jeweler, now adding to my titles here, repertoire, uh, we got a lot of people selling. So your regular consumer is selling. They're selling their chains. They're selling the rings. They're selling the earrings. Anything that's not of any sentimental value, they're letting go off. And I think a lot of it just came from the last two years of them buying up stuff they didn't need with all this extra money that they were getting. So I don't think that price is really going to rise anytime soon. That might be different in the next three to six months. Just depends on how the economy switches. But from a perspective of a jeweler, we are not keeping a lot of stock in gold. Mm. We're letting the wholesalers you know, hold it and we'll getting just enough to suffice our demand, but that's really it. So I think a lot of it, you know, it's just people not knowing where we stand. Yeah. With midterms coming up, the war, um, obviously we're, we're seeing everything that happened on Friday with the markets and just things not reacting the way that we maybe expected. Um, I don't think anybody's really ready yet. I think we're still waiting for that pistol bang to kind of go off for people to just react the way that we probably are expecting this market to do. How, how, how did that happen again? I, Anthony, like going back to what you were saying in the beginning, like we saw him. You, you said, Anthony, the fuck is wrong with you? Anthony, do you? <laughs> I say Anthony. What are you, my mom? Anthony. All right, sorry. I did, that just really caught me off guard. Obviously. What do I usually call you? Yeah, off guard. What do you mean? What do you usually call me? All right. Three, two, one. Hello, Tony. Um, now, how did that happen, though? So Amazon goes down. 
Apple well, goes down. All these big companies go down. Everything else obviously had to go up. But like, what is this magic potion that's going on? I think this is like a little bit of what I was talking about earlier, where like the difference, you know, Alex was asking the difference, like what would have happened in 2001 or 2008? Like we have a higher floor. The floor is up for the world. There's more value, whether it goes down or not. Like, yeah, $57 trillion of wealth got burned this year. But like, compare that to how much wealth there was total in like 2008 and 2001. It ain't shit. And that's a big deal. And so like these big companies that make up such a big percent of the S&P 500, I'll even t- I'll tell you right now the percents. Apple's 7% of the S&P 500. Microsoft's 5.3. Amazon's 3%, Tesla's 2%, Google is 3.5%. And that's pretty much all the big bangers because everyone, everything else is pretty shit and dead. NVIDIA is so, one. So do you feel, just reading in between the lines here and what you're saying, do you feel that they're too big to fail? It's like- they have too many big players right. for that index to fail? Yeah, I mean, like the S&P is by far like the benchmark. Like it's the leading indicator of how is like people want to say that the economy is like good or bad or whatever, but most of the time, like the average IQ is hundred. Most people don't think into it. And then they look at the S&P 500 and they say, oh, price up, world good. Price down, world bad. And so like, it's almost like it's just like this counteractive thing where it, it's like almost so big it, it can't fail because if you have Warren Buffett having, you know, 155 million shares of, or billion dollars worth of Apple and you have so many other of these index tracking funds. And that was another thing that wasn't a huge thing back then. Like ETFs are massive now, like Vanguard, all these other index tracking funds. They track because they buy the exact percent of shares to keep that S&P 500 percentage. Like if you look, you just go to slickcharts.com. I'll send you guys the link even. It's just, it just breaks down the components of the S&P 500, right? So you have people who are trillions, like, hundreds of trillions, BlackRock, this, that, everything. When you have a 60-40 bond portfolio, you're probably in an index fund or you're probably in a variety of index funds or mutual funds. And all those people, they try to track the performance of the S&P 500 and take little alpha spreads in between on different things between that. And so you've got all these people buying also 6.8% of Apple, also 5.3% of Microsoft in their entire board. So it's like, it's a hive mindset to buy all these things at this percent. And so- it is like too big to fail, but you know, it's it's not like too big to fail individually. It's too big to fail as a conglomerate. Because if that is the only thing that's like supporting and holding the market that dictates where everything else goes, everyone's rushing into that because it's like it's like a version of the greater fool theory. Everyone says these are great companies because they are on paper fundamentally, most of these companies are the best companies in the world. But you can exacerbate how much you think that they're sick by copying and everyone copies. Like if you look at why ARK got crushed so bad or why, you know, like other funds are tracked, like the, the, for China is a perfect example. The amount of funds that were like piggybacking off of Chinese short trades made China just die and like crash like crazy because you have so much cross exposure. Now you have this cross exposure upwise, upwards, and you don't have these mutual funds and these pension funds and these like a lot of these people, unless they have to have to for like pensions have to sometimes, but like most of the time, these like institutional huge ETFs and stuff, they don't need to sell these things, nor do they really want to. And so like, what, once again, like I was talking about the difference with the Fed, the Fed's got $8 trillion of stuff on their balance sheet that's either going to slowly get taken off and or just passively roll off. 
And it's the same for this. Like you have X amount of money. That's just the floor is there. And those, those are in all the funds that you can possibly buy for your retirement or this or that. It has to be accessible. So like the world, we all collectively chose, this is the Ponzi we're going to ride. And so it's hard for me to think that the market, the S&P 500 specifically can go down to too much because not only do we have that Ponzi going because people want the returns in the alpha and the tech companies are the only ones that are big enough and still re- deliver like good growth. But in the S&P, you also have a huge c- c- like percentage of industrials and you have a huge uh, percentage of like energy companies and other things that are still doing pretty fine in this economy. And like banks, for example, banks are doing fine right now because rates are flying. And so you, you've got things like that, that it's all just like this mix where the, t- the, the seesaw goes up on one side and down on the other, but the, the average is holding. And so like, if you, like you were saying in 2008, what would have happened? That wasn't the case. We didn't have this other leg of the seesaw, which is all these huge tech companies that deliver really good profit margins and growth. So what you're saying is Amazon is the Ponzi us as a society chose to have and represent it. Wait, yeah, out. Apple is a huge app. <laughs> Apple's probably the Ponzi. Like Apple really makes sense as the Ponzi. But like Apple Pay is going to be amazing. I, I mean, maybe I just realized this as a new iPhone user, yeah. but how much they've penetrated the market right now, it's like nothing. And you know what's funny about that too is I've been an Apple user, an iPhone user forever. And um, I really never used it, right? Because my default is Zelle, Cash App. The last thing I ever used is Venmo, but just happens to be the thing that I've used my entire life. And as I go out and start buying stuff from people, cash, you know, like I've had a lot of people say, oh, well, you know what? You got Apple Pay. Yeah. So I think once you set up that first account, you're kind of bankrolling it. You're used to it. You know how it works. Like I think it's going to catch up. People don't realize just how much money is in those payment systems. Like the amount of money Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex, and how entangled they are in our everyday lives, it's ridiculous. And I know that's the thing that crypto, uh, one of the things crypto threatened the most was taking that away from them. It's true. Imagine if you don't have to swipe your debit card. I don't think you're going to have to in the future. I'm saying Apple Pay is going to be amazing. I mean, it already is amazing. I've been using, it just needs to have more ubiquity at, at different vendors. Well, Apple, Apple is the the payment processor. Same way Visa and MasterCard and everybody else, right? But when you don't have to use those guys anymore, you know what I mean? When the, right. the transfer can be instant. And oh, that's what I, yeah. That's, that's about it. with crypto. I mean, that's, that's going to be with stable coins and crypto. That's going to have Apple. I mean, they're already being built right when now. stable coins. Uh, <laughs> yes, Tell me what coin is fucking stable. USDC is pretty stable. USDC? Yeah. Ponzi. You think so? <laughs> UST? USD. <laughs> UST. UST. Sorry. And that's still why I think Apple should make the biggest acquisition in their history and just take out PayPal. Yeah, that's facts. Leave the number one pay- payments company out there. Now they'll take out TTD also while they're at it. I mean, that, that'd be more of a stretch for them. Like, yeah, they're, they're big in ads, but they're more like, about user privacy and I guess acquiring a big advertiser might not be. Apple's about user privacy. They want like- Have you op- read the terms and conditions? Optics. They want to be about user privacy. So find a big advertiser. I mean, they could buy, is that, is that company Ramp? Live Ramp still public? That's another one that kind of privacy isn't, isn't the most ideal thing for tracking. 
But but yeah, I would love to see them make a big deal. But what was the biggest deal they've ever made? Beats by Dre for like a billion? Yeah, like a billion or so. Two trillion dollar company. Yeah, Dre could have done a better deal. Should have taken royalties. Apple acquisitions. Yeah, Apple really hasn't had any big notable. Dre, what do you think about earnings? We got Mealy and Net, the two rock stars, and TDD of the last earnings quarter, the three rock stars of the last earnings period. Back to the same price as they were before that earnings happened. Coincidence? So, think- so Net, they need to have either break even, free cash flow positive, something on the profitability front that people could get excited about and that thing could absolutely rage. TTD, I think it, it's it's interesting that that came all the way back down given how giddy people were about the last report. But I mean, the setup is not ideal after seeing Meta and Google. So if they could beat it again, they could once again show that they're like the superior play on advertising. It's just that the valuation is still, I mean, of concern when you look at everything else across the market. The other one down last quarter too, and so did Meta. So the exciting one also, I think it's Thursday is PayPal. Because yeah, I'd like to see where they're, if they kind of like play ball at the activists, which I think they had said that, yeah, they were going to, you know, take into consideration everything that they were saying and they could focus more on profitability, scale back some spending. That's what people want to hear. Yeah, we're scaling back spending. You want to hear about layoffs, you know, some way that you're going to recognize this is a really bad market and you're being financially responsible. And that's all that really needed to happen for Meta. Had they said, hey, we're going to reduce spending, not the whole we're going to increase spending next year and talk about spending on the metaverse and all that stuff, like leave all that out. Had they said that they were going to reduce headcount and all that, the stock would have been up as much as it was down. So these companies, they just need to realize what people want to hear, that you're being responsible with money. You're going to focus on profitability until we're out of this crap. And I think, you know, this next week as the Fed comes out with their hike and if we get any commentary about, you know, slowing the roll or this pivot, I mean, as soon as that, you know, pivot talk comes out, this market's going to be that coiled spring where everything is just going to surge. I'm bullish on PayPal for a really random reason. Just want to toss that in. Because the $2,500 misinformation sure maybe i mean that also (laughs) it's a different reason i like to read between the lines everything goes down in ways right the cycles and like the last cycle is like the physical items that you're emotionally attached to aka collectibles so like nfts you're not as attached to you can't you can't hold them and like that's still a thing in your mind of the humans i do a lot of stuff with collectibles like so i've been recently just doing a bunch of research on the different uh, price movements and different collectibles, like Pokemon cards, for example, down abysmal. Like a lot of different things are down a lot, but it's a lot of trading is happening, right? Because like, if you think of it, for example, like it's like when Amazon's at $88, more people are buying and selling it because it's A, more affordable and B, like it's a deal, quote unquote. And the difference is that it's like, yeah, maybe some people, like maybe Joey and I have like emotional attachments to those big companies that we've been like in for a long, long time that we know that are going to be good in a few years. But whatnot is growing. It grew 20 times sales. I want to get them on the podcast, obviously, by the way. And I've been seeing mad ads for whatnot. I bet you have, buddy. We're busting on whatnot. And so like- We here. Dang. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah. And dude, whatnot's huge. It, it's going to IPO and it's going to be a massive company unless TikTok finds a way to US do it. When whatnot IPOs, I buy if I don't get stock already. But 
I think that because of all that going on, like eBay, for example, there's a crazy amount of increased volume, not in like just sales amount, but it's just like volume and like things like PayPal, they take the fees, like the fees on every transaction, right? So you have more transactions, you have more fees, you have more volume, even if the prices are lower, right? Estimates are already dog shit, I'm sure. And the 2,500 thing already crushed them. But every time we get a PayPal whatnot payout, it goes to PayPal. It only goes to PayPal. And sales are up 20X from 2020 to 2021. And they're up another 3X month over month every month this year. So like, that's egregious. If you're like just looking at the general basis of like, where do people buy collectibles? What do things like, you know, where are people spending their money on things that they have? Like if you're a long-term investor in things and you're like, I don't feel great about real estate. I don't feel great about NFTs. Like I'm going to buy physical collectibles that I know, you know, if you look at the chart, like those are some of the safest assets you can buy. You know, eBay just bought a TCG player, which I used to buy a ton of stuff from and for like 200 or 360 million or whatever. So there's like a lot of crazy restructuring going on in the collectibles market. And like for people who are like, oh, collectibles are stupid. If you have art in your house, you're a hypocrite. It's the same thing. So those are things that I think that factor into PayPal a lot because the majority of transactions that people do, for instance, like personally on Instagram, friends and family, PayPal, it's what they always choose. Or every payout, like eBay payout goes to your PayPal. It's like all very much so intertwined with that market. And while that market is down a lot, it creates opportunities and there's increased volume in transactions. Let's see how that plays out. I've seen a lot of the same thing. I was echoing like, if if there's any specific payout, it seems to always go through PayPal. And I know my wife does a lot of things on the social media side. It's all through PayPal. And then, you know, this last little drop of, Venmo being added as a checkout option on Amazon. Now, I don't think that's as big of a deal as people make it out to be like, yeah, it's it's a massive retailer. But like, if you're on Amazon, you already have it all set up. Like, do you really need to add Venmo on there? Like, who doesn't have Amazon? Who doesn't have Prime? Who hasn't placed an order? And has I've been an Amazon card. So yeah, it's like, unless, you know, you have some reason that you really want to use Venmo or like maybe you have a, the Venmo credit card, but like, if you have Amazon, you also have that Amazon credit card because you're getting 5% back on everything there. So like they, they've created this per- perfect structure that maybe just adding this, this payment feature will bring in a couple more people because yeah, then Venmo is going to advertise it to everybody that's on the platform. Um, we have the, the payment side. That's the thing. It's pretty much, you know, PayPal and Shopify that everything's kind of checking out there if it's not on Amazon. So that's kind of like the three-headed monster of e-commerce that that you're watching. And yeah, if, if PayPal is the way that you could get exposure to a company like, you know, these fast growing companies, like whatnot, right. that's your play until they actually come public. Yeah. I only recently thought about like, it, it kind of makes me bullish. Cause like, you know, like personally, if you see yourself like cashing out like tens of thousands of dollars and you know, other people are doing it too. You're like, wow, what like oh, PayPal is taking a few percent of every single transaction. And that's the only way you can do that. And you can, you can do it to your bank, but like most people want it to be immediate. So they just do it to PayPal. Yeah, and what's their total payment volume was over a trillion dollars last year and it's only growing. So, I mean, this is a company that, and this is where I know, I remember me and Avi talking about it when it was at like 60, what was it, 68, 69 bucks. We're like, this is stupid. Not only the valuation on sales, but then you're talking is like 21, 22 times forward earnings for a company that, yeah, growth was slowing at the time, but you still see the long-term, you know, long-term growth profile. And and their, their brain tree unit that is growing like crazy, becoming a higher percentage of revenues, which is a higher margin business. So if they actually reduce spending on their lower margin businesses, then, I mean, this could be a company that 
is ridiculously undervalued today, but you're not going to realize till we look back on it five years from now. Can I address the two hundred fifty dollars fine thing, though? Is that, I know that is, that's like major news. What, what, what even is it, Avi? I actually don't know. Uh, is it? Is there the PayPal, that is, is it, happening? In their user agreement, it says, I'm on the Forbes article right now, subject to a $2,500 fine. It was talking about like misinformation online and there was something with social. Maybe my social feed's just filled with... So I saw it come up and it then... It pops it back up. It's happening and now it's back. So. No, it's back now. It, it's gone now. No, oh. it's gone. Are they going to... a major backslash for it. Yeah, but then they put it back in. Does that have a major impact then on Square? Or block or whatever they're called now? All right, if people switch over, if their their terms and conditions are not like that. Well, when you say switch over, do you mean like switch over from Venmo to Cash App? Yeah, I mean if you have like the payment, like the POS system from PayPal or anything in a business, like that's some high switching costs related to that. And I mean, how many people are really worried about publishing misinformation? Like, you got to be a very specific outlet. It's almost like they want to weed out particular people. Yeah, from sure. being on the Black Brothers. It's it's like the Planet Fitness model, which I, I saw something recently that it was genius. It's like they want to have as many people as possible because like the average Planet Fitness location has well like ten thousand plus signups, but they know that the bulk of their user base does not actually come to the gym. They stop after how January second. Yeah, how do they prevent crowding? It's like okay, well we're going to limit you know the people that actually want to sign up here to the people that tend to not go. We're going to top out the dumbbells at what fifty pounds. It you know it gets rid of a lot of the people that lift heavy. We're not going to have freestanding uh, benches. Like that gets out of it. Huge crowd. We're not going to have squat racks. It's just going to be Smith machine. So like there are specific ways that they're whittling down their actual target customer. And the price is so low that it's like people won't cancel it. It's only 10 bucks. And then, hey, if you go the one time a month when they're giving away like smoothies and pizza and stuff, like, hey, that dinner alone just paid for your membership. And it's not like you're paying some ridiculous down payment, you know, when it's like a hundred bucks to sign up at this gym, it's like 25 cents down, $10 a month. And hell, you know, everybody's always got the plan. Oh, I'm going to start next month. I'm going to start next month. It's not one of these huge expenses. Like, oh crap, it just charged me another 50 bucks. I need to go in and cancel this. It's, it's one of those where, hey, if you're not worried about misinformation or if you're not active on social, like, what do I care what PayPal is going to do out there? Like, I don't tweet anything anymore to where not worried about being fined 2500 bucks and i'm not that's the crazy thing though is that not like a crazy yeah it's i pulled it up so if you are a seller that receives funds for transactions yada yada you acknowledge and agree that 2500 dollars per violation acceptable use of policies on reasonable minimum estimate of paypal actual damages and it talks about like social media that's not crazy that they can fine you for something you say on Twitter. i think that's pretty crazy <laughs> like, but what? i'm not gonna go changing from venmo to cash app like i get it if it was just like a, if a brand said it or like you're you're saying you know racist remarks or hate i guess like even that's crazy to like find someone i don't know well yeah because even even though what you i mean those categories are, are pretty rough it's like the whole freedom of speech thing comes into you, play it's like well it's it, money it, you can find me Exactly. That seems wild. And it's not like, you know, a private private golf course where you can ban people from it's yeah, it's very weird. I'm getting off PayPal. I say a lot of shit on Twitter. I gotta well, get see, that's why like I feel like this is a bigger deal for you because yeah. you've been banned on Twitter so many times or shadow banned for this, shadow banned for that. 
yeah. people like me. It's like, oh, okay. if, if, or I got to shut up. Maybe that one. Yeah. Have a back. <laughs> have a Keep that in the book. <laughs> I'm going to mute. Alex, I definitely want to know your perspective on this. I know you're like, you're from the banking world and everything. So it's, it's as close as it gets, man. We don't like PayPal. Well, I say that in my experience. Um, I think that depending on what you're doing, so why not? Makes perfect sense. Perfect marriage. But if you're just a regular business owner slash consumer, I actually... Uh, so to circle back on this whole jury thing, right? I went and uh, tried to get a vault. Talked to the company. I said, hey, listen, okay, cool. You got what I want. Do you offer financing? And she said to me, she said, well, you know, we used to through PayPal, but we got screwed over one too many times. I said, really? What happened? Well, they did the financing, whatever, whatever. Disputed it. And as most things in the world... Um, when you compare it to like the car brands, the Visa, MasterCard, the Discover, and all of them, the person that gets stuck with the shitty end of the stick here is always the business. So from that perspective, I really don't like PayPal. Any company that you have to spend hours of your day to try to get a resolution for something, for me as a consumer, it's not worth it. So. I love the technology. I love certain aspects of it. Obviously, the whatnot, obviously the eBay, obviously the checkout and certain websites, especially through. So what's crazy though, though, I do I do always default, even when I'm using PayPal, it's connected, it's just like the login to get to a specific credit card. Because I mean, we have had something in the past where like my wife and I were just driving down, like going into our house and we're in Virginia. And we get this PayPal payment confirmation for some Eventbrite event in New York City. So we call saying, hey, clearly someone hacked this. You know, we're not in New York. That someone was me, Joey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, it, it was used at the point of sale. So, and, and they ended up like not giving her money back. So she had to file a dispute with her bank that then went to PayPal and this whole thing. But like the credit card companies had that same thing happen. We're like, hey, listen, you know, we're not there. It's it's not even like a second question. They're like, we're going to mark this as fraud. Thanks for letting us know and hang right up. Like American Express is always the absolute best of that. Discover is always awesome. So like, even when I'm using PayPal, it's usually just the intermediary to get quickly to my card. I don't know. I, I could see where there could be some issues on that front, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I recently bought, sadly, some fake shit from Japan and PayPal refunded me for it. and. I'm just proud. I'm sure you feel great. It was a band, so yeah. That vendor hates you. (laughs) I don't give a (laughs) No, I mean, I think going back to what you said about the bank disputes and American Express, I deal with a lot of customers on a day-to-day basis that process credit cards. And I can't, if my life would be so much easier if I didn't have to explain to them just the politics of what that, merchant agreement states, which is if somebody disputes it, Visa MasterCard, first data, they're going to pull that money from you, regardless. They're going to do their process, due diligence, whatever, send us, you know, whatever proof you have that the consumer actually bought it or knew what to find or you deliver what you promised. And then they'll see if they can return the money to you. So, I mean, it's a, it's a cumbersome process. And most of the times they lean towards the consumer. Most of the times it's the business that gets stuck with that, you know, loss. 
on top of paying one and a half to 5% of processing fees. So we go back and say, well, the crypto thing, taking payments was the best way. I mean, if I send you, you know, 0.1 Bitcoin, it's done and over. I know it's going to go to you. I know it's done. It's over. You can never take it away from me. Where's that balance between where we are now in the world of, of payment processing and that perfect world of send the money, it's done and over with. There's no risk of ever losing that. That opens the up same, a big question. The same thing goes for checks. If I write you a check, I mean, that check can bounce months after the fact. Even though it clears the bank, even though the money's gone, you can always go back and say, hey, that was fraudulent. I actually have no idea what that check is from. Or the bank or somebody who handled a payment could have made a mistake and you can go back and say, hey, yeah, that wasn't me. All right. We can talk about payments all day, but uh, we got a big week of earnings coming up once again. We got SoFi on Tuesday, Uber, Pfizer, BP, Marathon, Lilly. So Pharma and oil, AMD after the close, Airbnb we were talking about quite a bit. Wednesday, we got CVS, Roku, Robinhood, Humana, Etsy. Thursday, Royal Caribbean PayPal, which we've just been discussing, Coinbase, ConocoPhillips. We got Block, Moderna, Mercado Libre, Crocs, Datadog, Peloton, Nicola. We also have Twilio, Starbucks. Friday, we got DraftKings and Fubo. So we got actually a pretty big week of earnings coming up here. Anything you're keying in on here, Joey? Oh, man, definitely Mercado Libre. PayPal. I mean, they, yeah, there's some exciting ones this week. It's not nearly as exciting as last week, but like Tony was saying, you know, Mercado Libre is one of the stars of last earnings season. And with the struggles you've seen across e-commerce in the United States, I'm very interested to see, you know, how it's working out in Latin America. And I mean, it's just growing so fast, it's profitable. You know, everything about that business is exciting and, you know, firing on all cylinders. I want to see, you know, if worsening economic conditions is playing a big role in Latin America as well. Plus, you know, they just had that big Brazilian election. So seeing if that's going to affect them in any way is going to be important to look for. 100%. I mean, definitely just want to touch on shop earnings last week. Like shop is one of the pinnacle, you know, quintessential examples of like a COVID run up stock. But then you look at like, how it reported last quarter, right? Like EPS of negative two cents, and that's a five cent beat, right? So these companies that were the bunny ear, quote unquote, non-profitable monsters that went crazy during COVID that are dying because of contractionary pressures that affect their cash flow and their debts, like the best ones are still bussing. And so there's something to consider when you look at like shop beating like that. And you look at like Amazon's like earnings report and you see like, oh yes, they... They had, what is it, like a 2% decrease in their, their margins or so, and they still beat revenues and EPS. So it's like, if you lose in one way, you can make it up in another. And I think that when all is said and done, everything will work on the certain companies that are able to do that right now. Like you had Mercado Libre last quarter, beat earnings, EPS estimates by what, like 100% in the worst time for FX in decades. And it's so so subjected to FX swings, especially since the majority of their business is in Latin South America, which is one of the worst places in FX, period. And so that's like a really crazy thing for me to consider. And then you also like, you kind of take into consideration that while other FX, like current currencies have been getting worse, sure, but you have 
that company is still doing really well. So I would be shocked if it did not do a really good quarter, unless like they guide it up too high and then, you know, kind of misses on that front, like get better to get better. But if you're already really good, you can really only kind of get a little worse. But I think that net is possibly going to be in a similar situation as Shopify, Joey. And I know we were talking about that because, you know, you look at what you were just saying of, uh, you know, you think that if net comes out with like a decently profitable quarter or close to profitability, kind of what we're looking for in these these companies that are just about to start doing positive EPS every quarter. That's the biggest inflection point if you look at any stock ever, right? Like a company that's supposed to be a negative EPS does a positive EPS. It changes the game because that lets a lot of different people who would never buy a company that's not a profitable, like positive every quarter company start investing in that. And that is how like the perpetual Ponzi's of the big fang stock started. And so like, I don't know if people remember like 2013, 14, 15, 16 trading, that's what happened. Like you would get 50% swings in Amazon like in a few months. And then, you know, they started building up bigger and better. Got to hate, I just said that. But that's, that's, that's how it is. And so I think that those companies that are already super close that you saw from last quarter, like the Mercado Libres, the TTDs, uh, the Nets of the world, the CrowdStrikes, the Snowflakes, like even, even honestly, Airbnb had a really good quarter last quarter, Joey, even in amidst all this cra- like craziness, right? Like rents are still like the highest they've been in a long time. And, you know, that is really transferable. Like you were saying, if, you, if it's like we get a 25% markup in lumber, we're going to raise it 50% for the consumers. So you have less people staying in Airbnb, sure, but they're still generating profits. So that's, that's, that's a big thing for me to consider just like in the next earnings wave. And when you already have the biggest names in the market besides Apple, absolutely just, you know, getting crushed, but starting to, you know, form bottoms around the hundred psychological level. I'm not feeling too bad about it next week. Hey, so one thing you said, there was a spot on that I've been meaning to kind of say, one of the big ways, I guess you see a huge run up in a stock is if they can achieve profitability while still growing the top line at a very significant rate. So you see where companies have gone wrong on this front where, yeah, they're growing 50% plus losing money, then they become profitable where they're growing like 29%. Like that's not something that excites people. Now, if you can be like a crowd strike, growing the top line, what they, they became profitable and they're still growing the top line at like 60%. You see Snowflake turning the corner on profitability. Like, yeah, it could be break even or like a penny or free cash or whatever, but they're growing at 80% plus. Right. Ada dog, same situation. They're growing over 70, 80% profitable. That's where you see these stocks that could be high flyers sustain and not mm-hmm. come back to like the COVID lows as everything else is doing that. Um, so like that will be, you know, Nets opportunity. If they can turn that profitable quarter in while still growing the top line over 50%, it puts them in that special class. And so that's gonna be very important to see and what basically what I'll be watching out for. Same here. Those are the only things I'm looking for at all. Like I would love to see Meta, Amazon, Amazon already did it, but Meta, Google, get back over that hundred level and create that new base at a hundred, right? Like, I think that that's a mass, it's the biggest psychological level that exists for any stock, no matter what. The price of a hundred is such a big thing, psychologically proven. So like you you start getting bases over a hundred and after everything already died in the market, still at 3,900. If the S&P goes lower, it's not going to be because of the NASDAQ anymore, I don't think. And so I don't mind if the S&P stays in this range and you start seeing like, the old 
older days of like the last decade where you'd get the NASDAQ up one and a half percent and the S&P is up one percent or the NASDAQ up one percent and the S&P is flat, right? Like those are the days that you want to start seeing when you're realizing that the tides are changing for that. I'm not saying that we're right there right now, but, you know, everyone always says, wait for the generals to fall. Like how much further? So. How is Nicola still like, oh man, you didn't even mention you got Roku after the close on Wednesday. My old baby Etsy after the close on Wednesday. Vana after the close on Thursday. Man. That's what I'm saying. There's some wild ones here. Dude. This is a pretty big week. It's not as big as last week because of the big names with these. Uh, man, Thursday after the close, yeah, PayPal, Block, Coinbase, Mercado Libre, Twilio, Starbucks, Carvana, Cloudflare. You know what's interesting, Joey? The fact that the number of people living paycheck to paycheck is so much higher and like credit card companies they don't get hurt from the increase in inflation and everything. So basically like it's going to, it's going to come over into their bottom line, top line. It's going to be like, okay. And like a lot of these different companies now, like PayPal has cards and like Square has cards. I wonder how much of it is going to go from like, we're just doing the transactional volume at like one or 2% to we're doing the credit card volume at like 18. Avi, if I had to pick, so, I mean, you could see some significant moves in some of these companies that are so beaten down. They could be like the coiled spring effect. Um, but yeah, looking across these, like Datadog is by far the most exciting. Now, not only because it's one of my largest positions, it's because everybody's worried about the cloud and the slowdown, but they're going about this in the wrong way. When you look at software, ServiceNow has always been the first big cloud name that kind of sets the, you know, sets the tone for the quarter. Always. That was awesome. That was a significant trade of mine. Uh, took the position off since because I wanted it for more Datadog and Snowflake. But, you know, they kind of set the table. Now, looking at the cloud providers of the infrastructure, that's one way. But I, I'm looking at these individuals that, you know, Datadog, we talked about their land and expand model. Like that company is absolutely crushing it right now. And Snowflake in the same sense that, I'd rather look at a service now for an indication of how cloud is going to be more so than AWS, Azure, Google Cloud. I mean, it, you're kind of going about it in the wrong way. So that that would have to be my pick for the week. But it's also me hoping that that is the case because, you know, that's my baby. Uh, you know, so that I'm going to say the same thing. Like, order they're supposed to uh, go profitable or next so, one? Well, so Q4 is their pro profitable quarter. Now, I don't know if they have a weird fiscal year that this is their fourth quarter, so I have to look it up. But that is the same situation as Cloudflare. They've got to get some profitability. Usually software is like their first, yeah. It usually yeah, January. So I remember the CEO, the Jeff Lawson, he was talking Q4, they would be profitable. So this would be the quarter where they forecast that profitable quarter. Correct. So that's going to be the same thing like we were talking about Cloudflare. They have to say they're going to turn that corner on profitability while still growing over 40%. The problem is if they do that next year and their growth decelerates into like the low 30s, that's not nearly as exciting because you want the company like the Datadog and Snowflake turning the corner on profitability while still growing significantly because that's when you could see earnings just go from pennies to dollars to many dollars very quickly while still growing that top line. I think that's why you see people like Brad Gershner just he has such a huge position at Snowflake and not the best risk management profile, but you can see where these guys see the long-term potential of this, where this is going to be a massive, massive company. And they continue the whole land and expand playbook. They have the absolute best offering with this. Let's expand that offering to this, this, and, and, and so on. I forget what company we we're talking about. It might've been freaking meta. We're like, 
this company is so cheap. It only trades at this, you know, it wasn't bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then we were spot on. It's like, if your only basis for buying something is because it's so damn cheap, you know, it's only X times forward. What's to stop it to going to, you know, three, four. So like, I think, yeah, it was meta and it was trading at like 14 or 12 times. It's like, what's to stop it from going to nine, eight. And that's where we are today. So like, I think there's no point to own Twilio, Jerry. Like, I I think you're right. Like, I mean, they're not even expected to be positive. Look at Ring Central, RNG, look at bandwidth, B-A-N-D. Not the same thing as Twilio, but somewhat the same industry that, you know, CPAS type stuff. Those companies are trading at significantly lower values. Ring went from like 400s to what it's in like the 30s now. 35. Um, so like you look at those valuations. like And the sales are just straight up and the revenue yeah. and profit. So look at the up. multiple of sales on those. And then on Twilio, you see Twilio still trades at a premium. That it's like, what's to stop them from trading at that? Right. Um, right. So that, that was kind of like the whole, there, I guess, poking the hole in Twilio. There's also something to say though, like, Here's the here's a like catch of it the, the the opposite side which I'm still obviously like I didn't like it last quarter I don't like it this quarter but it's not at 34 right so like Twilio was way 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 lower before all this it's still holding up and and I think I think if, if it was me like I don't I mean there's such better things to own until Twilio gets to where it says says it's gonna go I don't trust anyone but EPS supposed to be flat first quarter of 23, like that's probably when you probably want to start looking at it. Well, like, yeah. you know, that's been at a different that shows it rocketing. Your what? 12 month EPS projections. Yeah, but like, you know, percents or whatever when they're like so small and they're only ever slated to get to like 14, 16, 16, 35 cents EPS. It goes like, yeah, EPS is going to grow 300%, but like 300% from one cents is just what turn off said it's kind of back in 2021 EPS where, where it was at. So there's certain companies where you just want to buy on the way back up. And it's not like Amazon Ragged. was ridiculous at 89. Like those are one of those things like this is stupid. I got to buy. Now with Twilio and, and like in the 60s, I thought, okay, that's that seems like this valuation's been contracting way too hard, way too fast. But then they don't have the profits to back it up. It's like freaking yeah, and the future profit. Yeah, where DocuSign got to profitability, but the growth rate slowed. And then, you know, there, there's better ways to play. They're not like the gold standard. I, I use Adobe Sign for everything. So yeah, it's one of those where I think maybe their COVID run up is kind of going to be what was it Cisco that you know they still have never reached where they were at their dot com bubble peak. Yeah, well, it could be one of those where they like never see that. That's Peloton too. I mean, that's oh, I mean, yeah, yeah that was. No, there's certain that are like no brainers. A lot of SPACs, a lot of those. But like you know, some of these tech companies that clearly Twilio is never going anywhere. I think the only way they leave the private mar- or the public market is if they get taken private. But you know, can they ramp profitability while still growing? And so, like ServiceNow is another prime example where they reach profitability while growing the top line very fast. And now they are still growing it, you know, in the 20s. And they are very, very profitable. Tons of cash flow. You know, they can make their deals to grow it. I love the stat that they have 100 plus customers paying them $10 million annually. Because it's like, there's a billion dollars in these, you know, very large companies alone. And ServiceNow at the time, like as we were loading, was in like the 60 billions or 50 billions. Like, okay. Yeah. You can wrap your head around it. You've got plenty of basis. You've got earnings to base it off. You got sales to base it off. You got free cash flow. Like there's so many ways to value the enterprise that it's very easy to wrap your head around. Where Twilio, you've got one multiple right now, and that's sales. 
Yeah, I mean, if you want to just like, like if you if spade is a spade, like you compare like a Twilio to a Mercado Libre, like you see Mercado Libre still growing, what like twenty five percent on revenues, and even yeah, their so their sales are supposed to be up fifty percent this year, twenty five and twenty five for the next two years, and their EPS is up three hundred seventy six percent this year, which is absolutely mind blowing, and then sixty two percent and sixty seven percent. So not only is it growing like 25% plus in revenues? They're, the profits that they're making off their revenue are growing th- almost three times that. And all that's exponential compounding. And so like you look, the trailing PE at 186.5 and the forward PE at 86, it's like, how many more years does it take before that? Like either the price goes up or the valuation gets cheaper or both. And so like in the same sense, like I've seen estimates where you know, in 2027, 2028, this could be pumping out $100 in earnings. And so like Mercado Libre is one of the most, you know, underrated growth stories of all time. The problem is like in the near term, like I want to see what they say on the economy. Like if there's any slowdown, like what, what issues they've experienced in this whole, you know, economic worldwide economic contraction. And if they don't even see the slightest hiccup because they're still like in the infancy of their growth, like yeah, you could see this thing absolutely take off. You know, this isn't like a, a Jumia or, or another situation. This is, it's a special one. And they are yeah. very profitable. Like Mercado Pago, um, yeah. Mercado Libre, like every unit is growing so fast. Their CFO is a genius too, honestly. Their CFO is a boss. The other cool thing is, you know, PayPal does have their little stake in there, so they will benefit from anything. And so does Goldman. And Goldman. They know what they're doing. And with that being said, Potters, come back. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm tired. I'll be long. Watch probably the Vikings game. Huh? No. Vikings? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, college football today. Big money, big money. All right. So that wraps up another episode of Pounding the Table. Make sure to check out our new website again, poundingthetablepodcast.com. Shoot us an email, hate mail, love mail, what you think of the site, whatever you guys want to do. Host with an S at poundingthetablepodcast.com. Once again, huge shout out to our sponsors over at StockTwits, and we will be back next week for another episode of Pounding the Table. Alex, I didn't know you were in a Dragon Ball. My respect for you doubled. Oh, absolutely. Dragon Ball. Use! <laughs> and we, um... That's 100% going... Actually, one of, one of my first... I think I've told you this. One of my first hustles was selling a RuneScape board. Bro, um, chill, chill. You were in nature. Yeah, I was getting PK'd in the oh. Wildy. I tried to buy a RuneScape account off Craigslist, got absolutely GG. Guy met me in the Wildy, killed me, took all my shit, changed the password. Right. No, so I was a little bit more entrepreneur in that spirit. I was buying from China.